Welcome into episode 24 of the Woopig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. I'm your host, Caleb, back with you with Seth here for episode 24. Before we get started here, we got episode 24 brought to you by University of Traditions. You know, like I've said, week after week, go check them out. They've got some great hat designs. You can go in if you find one you like. Use our promo code VSN15 to receive 15% off your order. And with that, we'll jump into some Arkansas football news where last week was kind of an exciting week for Arkansas football where, you know, they received several commitments and transfers over that that past week with a lot of those being top transfers or, you know, commitments. And kind of just going through this, these commitments are for the class of 2024. And three of the four that we received last week were all four-star players two being in-state and two being out-of-state. So we'll start off with one of the big ones was defensive lineman Charleston Collins, who is 6'4", 250 from Wilbur D. Mills in Little Rock, committed to Arkansas last week. You had Arkansas four-star wide receiver Courtney Crutchfield, who is actually cousins with Charleston Collins, who is at 6'2", 175 from Pine Bluff. You had four-star cornerback Jaden Allen, who's 5'10", 155 from Aledo, Texas, commit to Arkansas, who he was previously committed to Texas Tech. And then you had three-star cornerback Tevis Metcalf, who's 5'10", 175 from Parker High School in Birmingham, Alabama. And if that name sounds familiar, his brother TJ is a freshman at the university this year, and he is also a cousin of DK Metcalf. So um, just looking at some of these commits we got, what, what do you think, Seth? Yeah, a couple of uh, familiar names in there you can recognize, and then it's always good to see we're we're keeping some in-state talent at at home. So I always like to see that. Yeah, and I think it kind of shows you the growth and you know the progress of the program Pittman's building here, especially like you know when he first got here, he was getting some of those three stars, maybe a one to two four star guys, but now you know you see Arkansas, you know, right away got three four star guys for this class just last week, and that's not all of them. Uh, and with that being said, you know, Arkansas's 2024 recruiting class, who all of these are members of, are currently ranked 13th by 24-7 sports and 15th by on sports. So, you know, I think that shows growth in the program when kids are seeing what Sam Pittman's doing here. Yeah, I, there's a lot to that for sure. Um, I think he hired in some guys that know how to recruit, Um know how to talk a good game, you know, show show that aspect um, in their coaching abilities. And then uh, kind of to your point, I think that puts us at six, maybe seven, four stars in that 2024 class. And uh, I don't remember a time we had quite that many four stars in a class. I mean, you always, we'd always get excited to have just a handful. So definitely some upside um, that we haven't seen in a long time as far as just the recruiting side of things goes. So doing a great job so far, especially to some of those new coaches out there. Yeah, I know it was said that this class could potentially, with some more additions, turn out to be Arkansas's best recruiting class in the modern era. I know you've had some previous recruiting class classes in the past with some of the guys like, you know, those big Arkansas guys like, you know, Joe Adams' class or McFadden's class, guys like that. But as far as this modern area, era in, in the Sam Pittman area, these could be – one of the better classes he's had for Arkansas in the past. And, you know, that doesn't stop with recruiting. I mean, when you look at just being able to bring guys in, they're going to be able to compete and be impact players. 
you've got to look at the transfer commitment Arkansas received earlier over the weekend where they received a commitment from University of North Texas's transfer tight end Varkees Gums. He's 6'3", 235, brings in some experience. Last year at UNT, he caught 34 passes for 458 yards and five touchdowns. He played in all 14 games and received six starts. So I think this is a great pickup for Pittman, especially in a not necessarily super deep tight end room, but one that has a lot of freshmen and maybe inexperienced. A guy that comes in, has a season football under his belt and can be an instant impact. I know I've seen some people have him penciled in as, you know, game one starter just because he's got the experience and everything, but that that is yet to be seen. But, you know, what do you think about this pickup? Well, um, I mean, the dude's pretty big, 6'3", 235. That's, that's about what you want at tight end for sure. So that's the first thing that sticks out to me. And then, you know, like you said, uh, we got a lot of question marks at that tight end spot. I know we got a ton of talent just on paper. We talked about it, you know, in several episodes prior to now, just all of the uh, freshmen we've got in that tight end room that, you know, had the potential to be amazing. Um, it's just how are they going to – you know, take those in-game reps, especially in the SEC, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of unknowns there. So you do kind of get a little bit more um, security in a way with somebody that's that's got a season underneath your belt, like you said. So being able to kind of maybe have a little bit of extra depth there with some experience mixed in with, you know, trying to get your your new faces that, that maybe have some of that higher ceiling of talent, get those guys, you know, into the mix at a pace where they're not really thrown into the fire, maybe quite as bad. Um, could be a pr- pretty good situation for the team as a whole. So I like seeing this pickup for sure. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about Pittman too. I mean, if you just look at the transfers he's brought in over the past couple of years, since he's been here, you know, they've been guys that can come in and have been instant impacts. Like, you know, look at Drew Sanders brought him in from Alabama. He had a stellar year. You know, Jaden Hazelwood come up, comes over from Oklahoma, has a decent year. Um, I, I know he's brought over a few offensive linemen and guys like that, but, you know, you and some defensive linemen even too. So you look at, you know, he's not just going out there and being like, well, we have some holes to fill. Let's just bring in some bodies. He's bringing in guys that are able to be an instant impact and contribute to the team right away. Yeah, I think you'll see that this year as well in that cornerback position with all the transfers that came in that, I mean, frankly, there's no way they're not going to be an instant impact compared to the lack of depth that we had last year, you know. So, they're in my opinion, I mean, obviously there's games to be played yet before we're really going to know one way or the other, but they're doing a good job, at least on paper, of filling some of these holes with – you know, impact style players, not just a body. They're actually finding guys that really fit those positions well and give us a little bit more depth than we've had in a while. So all all's green on my end, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think there's a lot of excitement about this, you know, football season. I know there was last year, but I think just with like we said, the added depth that in the secondary and you know, KJ returning, being healthy, rocket back for another year. I think our our offensive line is going to be as strong as it has been with, I know we brought in a couple of transfer guys. We have some returners, you know, with, I think the improvement we might see on the back end defense and just if we can keep guys healthy this year. um, I think the one spot we've said it before that I want to see the most, I guess, not improvement, but 
just most um, work out of. And, yeah, is that wide receiver room. Because that's the only question mark to me that really is going to be what I want to see answers to. I mean, you got our secondary, but they've got a lot of guys that not necessarily – Freshmen, but like we had, do have some talented freshmen, but we've got guys that have college experience and about two transfers from Baylor that started. You know, we've got McLaughlin back that started for us last year. So we've got some experience back there, but where I think it comes in is that maybe inexperience at the wide receiver room or guys that necessarily haven't played at the D1 level to see how their game translates that way. But I think there's a lot of excitement, you know, buzzing around the football center and ready for fall to get here. I know I'm pumped. Yeah. And so, you know, with that said, you know, we less, we wish the best of luck to Arkansas, all the Arkansas players that have declared and will be hoping to hear their name called starting tomorrow and Thursday in the 2023 NFL draft. Um, I think the one name that you're probably going to hear early, most likely will be Drew Sanders, who he's expected to be Arkansas's highest draft pick and is expected to go Expected to go mid to late first round, possibly second if he's still on the board. Um, we'll have to see, but I think he, he's he got a lot of hype, and I think he showed us glimpses of what he can do this past season. Yeah, I wish him the best. I hate that he's not going to stick around for another year, not able to stick around for another year. Just um, He was so fun to watch on the defensive side of the ball, but, you know, just got to have that kind of next man up mentality. And uh, I, I think – Really, the higher the higher he goes in the draft, the the better. Um, I guess I don't want to say advertising, but kind of advertising you can do from you know like Sam Pittman's perspective of, hey, you know, you can come to Arkansas, you you can be that type of player that, you know, is good enough to start at Bama, maybe not play as often as you might like, you may not shine there quite like you might like, but you come to Arkansas and you can really stand out and uh, improve your your draft potential and your, your dreams of making it into the NFL. So I think there's, that's a great story as far as that, uh, that season he had last year and how that really kind of has built his draft stock. And uh, I think, you know, just from the university's perspective, that's something that they should really be advertising hard. You know, I think they are. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, and, and I think the number of, you know, Arkansas players in the league is, you know, increasing it but if you just look at an overall perspective of players in the league that have Sam Pittman's fingerprints on it not from just when he was here but him as a coach from when he was here before when he was at Georgia all the other places he's been like the number of offensive linemen that are in the league that has had some contact or some relation or some worked with Sam Pittman at some point you know it's a lot so I think that gives you an idea of just a, who he is, and, you know, he can get you the league. But now that him being a head coach and, like, with Drew Sanders and, you know, and we knew the talent was there when Traylon Burks was here, but, like, him being able to get guys to the league that besides offensive linemen, I think you're seeing him develop that part of his, I guess, resume as a head coach. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. And so with that, we'll jump over to some basketball. There's not necessarily a whole lot of news right now. We're still kind of in that waiting period where we've got a couple guys we're still waiting to find out on where, you know, Jordan Walsh and Devo Davis, they're in that same boat of where they had declared for the draft but left the door open to come back. I know they have to. I believe the date's May 23rd, not 100%, but I believe that's the date they have to have their final decision made whether they're coming back or will stay 
declared for the draft. And then everything's been kind of silent on the Makai Mitchell front. I think, I guess it's like that old saying, no news is good news as far as I guess he's staying, you know, if he's would have been leaving, he probably would have announced by now, I would think, or I don't know what's going on. So I think that's kind of kind of where we're sitting right now. I mean, you got anything to add there, Seth? Yeah, uh, not not necessarily too much to add other than, I mean, I think some of these guys may be, you know, some of the guys that they were waiting on, um, whether they're going to be drafted or the the Mitchell situation on him following his twin or not, which is, you know, everybody's kind of, well, he's gone everywhere else before with his twin. Why, why is he sticking around now? But, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to think about on the NIL side of things as well. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that has at least something to do with, you know, some of these guys' decisions, especially Makai. I mean, there, there's a good chance that, you know, that I think they've only got maybe one year of eligibility left. And I, I don't know if he'd be able to go to another university and get the exposure, you know, that he had last year. He played quite a bit of minutes for us last year. And um, if there's any NIL potential, I mean, it, it, as much as it's fun to play with your twin, I mean, sometimes you got to think about the old pocketbook too. So, yeah, and I think I think a lot of people said that you know them splitting up would be the best for them as far as if they want to hope to have some type of pro career instead of sitting behind each other or you know just swapping in and out, being able to split up and show their their games individually what they can offer. So, but yeah, and I know there's a few transfers that we have that are committed to Arkansas if they do decide to come back to college. I know you've got Tremont, Mark, and Ellis who also are kind of exploring that NBA waters as well as if they do come back, they said they've committed and will come back to Arkansas. So it'll be interesting to see what happens within within this next month if we, if decisions are made before that, that date that I, I mentioned earlier. So that's something that – we're seeing this roster shake out a little bit, but we, we've still got to wait a little bit longer before we have a final idea of what we're going to look at next year. And then, you know, I would imagine a announcement coming out sooner or later about, you know, travel plans for the summer, where are they going to go this year to have some exhibition games, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll keep you updated as, as we find out things. Um, I will add a piece of note that I saw yesterday. We mentioned last week, Riley Langerman transferred from our entered the transfer portal from Arkansas. Well, she's already found her new home. She'll be transferring to her home state and playing for the Oklahoma State Cowgirls next season. So, you know, we wish her the best of luck in that and hopefully success there, unless they happen to play Arkansas. Then, of course, we're going to root for the Hogs, but maybe she'll have a, a good stat line. But with that said, you know, that's kind of where we're at with basketball news. Yep. Still in that limbo phase, man. It's an exciting time of year, but it's also a little bit nerve wracking. I mean, I, I'm not sure, but what this might be more stressful on Musselman than you know crunch time playoffs. I, it's pretty tough. I can understand it being pretty gruesome going through the transfer portal stuff the way it is nowadays. That's true. We'll uh hop over and look at some Arkansas tennis from the week where Arkansas men's tennis played Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament on April 19th and unfortunately dropped that match 4-1. to one. And then the women's tennis played LSU on the 20th and lost that match 4-3. to three. So just a, two, two updates there from the tennis side of things. And uh, obviously we've, we've talked about it kind of some of the episodes prior. We've kind of had a rough year in tennis, but hopefully they can get the ship righted and um, maybe kind of have a turnaround next year if, if that's – 
kind of where this all ends up. But yeah, that's true. I, I think we saw where there's a lot of potential there for both teams where they started out pretty hot, but then kind of once they got into the grind or the meetup SEC play kind of struggled a little bit and, you know, made it to SEC tournament fell in the first round. But like you said, hopefully they can get back at it and, you know, get kind of things right and ready for next year. And so, but with that, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with some Arkansas softball news. You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams. And in the clutch, I am able to have the best of both worlds. In the clutch apparel is your one-stop shop for all things sports. They have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the NHL, MLB, NFL, and more. They have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond. Check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Variety Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wise. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at endtheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Variety Sports to get 10% off. And now we're back with Arkansas Softball News, where Arkansas had a ranked matchup this weekend in the series with number 20, Kentucky where they actually played a doubleheader on the 22nd due to some some weather in Kentucky. But in game one, Arkansas took the win 8-1, to one, where Janice Delfs got the start. You know, big surprise there. Your course, she's going to get the start almost, you know, every Friday night or Thursday night game, whichever it is. But she went seven innings, allowed six hits, one run, two strike – or two walks, and six strikeouts on 105 pitches. You had Reagan Johnson, who went four for five with two RBIs and a run scored. Hannah Gamble went two for four with two RBIs and one run one run scored. Lauren Kamenzen went two for four with an RBI. And Casey Hoffman went two for three with a run scored. So a lot of a lot of different people getting involved in the hitting that in game one. And, you know, that didn't stop for game two, where on that neck. Second game of the doubleheader, Arkansas won 14-6 in a run rule game, where in this game, Hannah Kamsen got the start, and this one went one in the third inning, allowed four hits, six runs, four walks, one strikeout, and 51 pitches. So not necessarily her best inning allowed all the runs that Kentucky did score in her one and two-thirds inning, or one and one-third inning. But she was relieved by Robin Heron, who came in and pitched the final three and two-thirds innings of that five-inning run rule game where she just allowed one hit, one walk, four strikeouts on 51 pitches, so kind of came in and silenced the Kentucky hitters and, you know, helped Arkansas get that win. But the thing you got to talk about in this game is Rylan Hedgecock, the star of this game. You know, not only has she been great all season, but she kind of just blew up with this game. You know, she went three for three at the plate, which, you know, is really good, but when you start thinking about she went three for three, all three of those hits were for home runs. And she also matched her career high in RBIs as well. So she started out the game with a solo home run in the first inning. She had a three-run home run in the second inning and then a two-run home run in the third inning. So, you know, whatever she had, her Ryland secret stuff, I I, I don't know. But she needs to keep that up. Um, it's a crazy game, man. Crazy I mean, game. When not only going three for three at the plate, but with all three of those hits being for home runs, she was one home run away from hitting for the cycle home run cycle of 
a one run, two run, three run, and grand slam. So, you know, such a big game by her. But not only just her, you had Reagan Johnson go three for four with two runs scored. Reagan Kramer, two for four with two runs scored. And Italia Rijo with a three-run home run of her own as well. So, you know, this Arkansas offense isn't slowing down. I think they're they're really getting into their stride and are setting themselves up for success down the road. And then as Arkansas went to wrap up this series, uh, they dropped the last game of this series but still got the series win. But they lost a close one three to one where Callie Turner got the start, went one and a third inning, allowed four hits, three runs, two walks, one strikeout on 30 pitches. She was relieved by Robin Heron, who went one and two-thirds innings with two hits, zero runs, one walk, and 25 pitches. You had Janice Dells come in, finish off the final three innings with zero hits, zero runs, seven strikeouts on 40 pitches. Our lone run was scored by Casey Hoffman as she had a solo shot home run in the fifth inning to put up Arkansas's only run of the game in that game. So Arkansas got the series win, good ranked series win over the weekend. And then before they came back home on Monday, they had a quick pit stop and taking on Western Kentucky in just a single game just to get get some more bats and game time under their belt where they won this game 7-0. to zero. Janice Dells got the start in this one where she went five innings with five hits, zero runs, five strikeouts on eight three pitches. And she was relieved by Nikki McGaffin who went the final two innings, allowing zero hits, zero runs on three strikeouts and 20, 25 pitches. And, you know, we mentioned before that the batting was hot. They kept it up in this game. You had Casey Hoffman go two for four with a three-run home run in this game. Christina Foreman went two for four with an RBI. Reagan Johnson went two for four with an RBI and a run scored. And Italia Rijo had another solo shot home run in this game. So, you know, this like I said, this team's finding their stride. So um, I think we're in for some exciting fo- softball as the, you know, season starts finishing up here. Yeah, I completely agree. You've got the – it seems like they got all the right pieces in the right spots. I mean, you, you're going to have bad games every now and then where it doesn't seem like anything goes right and you, you can't score a run to hardly save your life, you know, kind of like that that third game against Kentucky. But when you're going out and winning series and you're you're winning your non-conference games and all that, it's, it, it's hard to complain with the results this far. And I think the offense, like you said, is really – I'm not even sure they've had their, you know, their best games yet. I mean, it just seems like they're getting better and better, you know, across the entire lineup on clutch hitting, power hitting, um, you know, kind of all of the stats combined when it comes to offense. Um, they're, they're running the base paths well, everything. So the, the team's in great shape. Courtney Doffel's been doing a great job. Yeah, that, that's true. And, you know, you mentioned – you know, Courtney and Alpha doing a great job. You know, with that win over Western Kentucky on Monday, she got her three hundredth win as a head coach. You know, so that's that's something you, you don't see many people get that mark and have that much success in a program. And so that you know, that's awesome. And you know, I hope she sticks around for another however long she wants to be here. You know, give her on those open ended contracts. Be like, you're welcome back as long as you want to come. Um, <laughs> yeah. I hear till she retires. <laughs> right. And then so as well as some more notable things for Arkansas softball, Reagan Johnson was named SEC freshman of the week this week for her stellar performance over the weekend and in that midweek game. And then 
Rylan Hedgecock, you know, we told, we said she had that massive game on, against Kentucky in the second game, that doubleheader. Well, she is now tied for the most home runs in the NCAA with 19. So, you know, if that tells you how well she can hit the ball, you know, there it is. And I know they mentioned, you know, she sat behind a couple of – for a couple of years behind a few other, you know, veteran players that we lost after last year. But, you know, there's a reason she, she was recruited to Arkansas, and you're seeing it why – seeing it now with her bat that she's able to, you know, just open up and launch all those home runs. Yeah. She's coming into her own for sure. It's nice to see some of those, those accolades, you know, coming obviously for Dipo getting her 300th win and then Reagan Johnson being freshman of the week. Those are definitely good things. I'll be watching to see if Hedgecock can hang on to that, that lead of home runs there. She needs to keep on hitting a man. I'd like to see that home run title. <laughs> That's very true. And I, I think we're going to need that this weekend. We'll give a quick preview as you know, we've got number three, Tennessee coming to town this weekend in an odd day series where it's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. Um, that may be due to some bad weather, I think expected and fateful this weekend. But with that being said, you know, it's going to be another one of those highly touted matchups as Arkansas is ranked. You know, we had Georgia in town a few weeks ago, and hopefully this series goes different than that one did. And Arkansas can maybe knock off number three, Tennessee, and get a series win there. But I know that's going to be a highly anticipated matchup that I think we'll be in for some exciting softball. Very true. So we'll uh, kind of go to the other diamond and uh, talk about some Arkansas baseball, where um, we had a series against Georgia. Um, the 20th through the 23rd or yeah, 22nd, excuse me. And uh, unfortunately did not have our, our best outing on the road against Georgia where we, we dropped game one, um, six to five. Hunter Holland got the start, pitched five innings. He uh, gave up seven hits and six runs. Um, he did, he walked five batters, only had two strikeouts on 99 pitches. Um, wasn't his best outing. I, I didn't think he pitched poorly. I think you got to give some credit to Georgia. They were able to extend some at bats and, uh, they were able to pick up a couple of walks just off some lengthy at bats and got his pitch count up early. Um, but he, he didn't play terribly, just couldn't get some of the strikeouts that I think he was used to getting and that, that really hurt us in this game. He was relieved by Dylan Carter, um, who pitched two and two thirds innings, um, gave up two hits, zero runs, had two strikeouts on 38 pitches. And then uh, Christian Fouch came in and uh, had zero hits, zero runs, one pitch, got the the final out. Um, Caleb Kelly went two for four with two RBIs. Kendall Diggs went two for four with one RBI. Ben McLaughlin went two for three with an RBI. And uh, but unfortunately, one thing we've kind of seen all year is being able to get those clutch hits when you had runners in scoring position to uh, – you know, kind of sneak a few games away from some opponents and seem like we just couldn't make that happen in this game as we had bases loaded in the eighth inning um, with zero outs and had three straight strikeouts at the plate. Couldn't get anybody across to to tie the game or take the lead. So um, I think we had a similar situation in the ninth as well, if I remember correctly, had runners on first and second with maybe one out. I can't remember exactly and just couldn't find a way to, to bring in that run to, to extend the game. But uh, close, hard-fought game in game one um, that, that really kind of, I think, gave Georgia some momentum that, that carried through into uh, game two and three. So, that said, we'll we'll cover game two here where Will McIntyre got the start. We unfortunately lost this game seven to three. Um, McIntyre pitched four innings. He gave up six hits and six runs. He had three walks. 
um, six strikeouts on 76 pitches. Um, he was relieved by Cody Adcock, who gave us three innings, gave up four hits, one run, had two strikeouts on 42 pitches. And then Zach Morris came in, gave us one inning, gave up two hits, no runs, one walk, and one strikeout on 14 pitches. Um, kind of the the highlight for Georgia in this game, unfortunately for McIntyre, is they, they hit four home runs off of him early and kind of jumped out in front of us right off the get-go. And uh, we had a hard time climbing back into this game. Um Cut the lead to four in the eighth inning with, with Slavens hitting a two-run home run and Jace Borfren's RBI sack fly, but that was about as close as we could get it. Um, Caleb Cowley continued his decent weekend at the plate going two for three, and uh, Harold Cole um, playing shortstop in for Bolton, I think just for some of his offensive abilities. He went two for four at the plate in this game. Um, Caleb, I'll let you cover game three, bud. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it seemed like uh, before we get into game three here, it's like we had, you know, injuries are stacking up. Like we said, you know, we saw this series we've had, we've been without Wagner for, you know, this will be the second full series. Now we've been without Wagner. Um, you see, you know, missing Roland, you know, Parker Roland didn't play this entire series due to his, he's having some back injury issue or, and so you had Hudson Polk playing, um, and I mean, even when you look at pitching, I think they were expecting Tiger back potentially this weekend, who maybe could have came in and gave us some closing innings to, you know, a game or two that we maybe could have shut down some guys. But it's one of those things where, yes, you can say it's a little bit of a slump right now, but also look at the injuries we've had. And it, it is worth it to note that, and I, I believe it was either game two or game three. Uh, our leadoff guy, Tavian Yosenberger, injured his hamstring as well, so he's going to be out for an extended period of time as well. But we'll dive into game three where Arkansas lost a close one, nine to eight. This game was, you know, hoping to get at least one win on the road, but, you know, in the end, it's like we said, in some clutch situations, not necessarily batting-wise, but even pitching-wise, we, we struggled a little bit. You know, so in this game, you had Hagen Smith get the start in this one. He went five innings. He allowed three hits, two runs, three three walks, eight strikeouts on 96 pitches. He was relieved by Gage Wood, who went one and two-thirds innings with two hits, two runs, two walks, one strikeout on 52 pitches. And then you had Christian Fouch come in for an inning in the third, allowing two hits, three runs, one walk, one strikeout and 34 pitches. And then Ben Bybee, Two hits, two runs on five pitches. He so, you know, this is one of those clutch scenarios where, you know, we were talking about we struggled a little bit. We we had the lead going into this ninth inning. We were up, I believe, it was eight to four. You know, we come in this inning. We bring in Ben Bybee for some relief. You know, he comes in with I believe two on or even bases loaded. Comes in for relief. You know. First or second pitch of that at-bat, Grand Slam, ties the game up. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, it's at least tied. We're getting some extra innings. Well, that following up that very next pitch, solo shot home run for Georgia to walk off this game. So not the best outing there for Bybee as we're hoping he could come in and give us some clutch pitches. And I think you see, you know, that youth and inexperience exposed a little bit there. But as far as – a hitting weekend, you know, like we said, Caleb Cowley continued his hot weekend in this game as well, where he hit two home runs and drove in a team high five runs. 
You had Hudson Polk step up and have a solo home run for his second of the season as well. Um, and it is noteworthy to note that, you know, Coach Van Horn wasn't ejected in this game as, you know, he was pretty upset about a, uh, in, in my opinion, a missed call on a Jace Borfin where we had a bases loaded situation and he got rung up on a low inside pitch that probably should have been a ball but got rung up as a strike and, you know, Dave wasn't happy about that and he expressed that to the lead ump and he got thrown out here. So, you know, give us your take on this weekend. Man, it's been a while since I've seen Van Horn ejected. Um, I, I think he was really just trying to – add a spark I mean it just seemed like I'm it it felt like we were you know in most of these games unfortunately game two kind of got away from us early but game one and three especially it felt like we we had a chance to win both of those games and it just they didn't go our way you know sometimes the balls kind of bounced our way earlier on in the season and just didn't seem like those games did but it I, I think part of it just it almost felt like we were playing tired um you know, we, we started this the series on the Thursday, so you didn't have that extra day of rest in there. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it um, or not. But the team just kind of looked like they were not really in it mentally like they might needed to have been. I think that may have kind of affected us to some extent. But then, uh, you know, just that, that note about him getting ejected, I really think he was just trying to kind of provide a little bit of a spark, um, get out there, get the team kind of fired up. I don't think he was necessarily wanting to get ejected, but – I think he wanted to make it clear to every single person in that ballpark that he was not necessarily pleased with some of the officiating and trying to get his guys going, you know, kind of around that. But um, definitely a tough series. I mean, it, it's it's rough getting swept, especially with the expectations being as high as they are for this team, you know, to at least, you know, win a game, if not win pretty much every series they play, um, especially considering Georgia hasn't had the best year. They're not a horrible team at all. You can't knock them at all. They're, they've got a lot of talent, and I think they're playing better ball now than they have all year, but they're uh, they're no Vanderbilt or South Carolina or anything like that either where you might could uh, justify getting swept as much. But definitely a tough – Tough series for us. Hopefully we can, you know, kind of shake it off, learn from it, whatever we need to learn from it, and move on. Yeah, that's true. And I think what you're a lot of you're seeing here here is not necessarily a depth issue, but a lack of experience issue when it comes to the bullpen with all the injuries we've had. Like I know we said or injuries as far as, you know, guys at the plate, but also when you look at injuries that have stacked up bullpen wise, you know, we lose Jackson Wiggins. Before the season even begins, you lose Brady Tigert in the beginning of the year. Not necessarily awesome. Cody Frank, too. Cody Frank. You know, I know they said in one of these games over the weekend in Georgia, like, why didn't in game three we see maybe Dylan Carter, since he didn't necessarily pitch a whole lot in that game, too. He's experiencing some soreness. So, you know, we're, we have guys that – they've worked a lot of innings or have been hit with injury before the season even began. So like, you know, this is where some of these young guys are going to have to grow up fast. If we're going to ha- continue to have some success and make a run in June to hopefully get to Omaha, these, some of these young guys are going to have to step up and grow up pretty fast. Very true. And so we'll move on. Arkansas had a midweek series or midweek game at Missouri state on Tuesday where, you know, 
didn't see much progress from this weekend where they lost this game eight to four. You know, you had Cody Adcock get the start in this game, go two innings, allowed two hits, one run, two walks, and two strikeouts on 45 pitches. He was relieved by Zach Morris, who went two-thirds of an inning, allowed four hits, five runs, one walk, two strikeouts, and 30 pitches. Austin Ledbetter for two-thirds of an inning with two hits, two runs, two walks, and on 23 pitches. Parker Coyle came in for two and two-thirds innings with two hits, zero runs, two strikeouts on 32 pitches. And then Ben Bybee came in again for two innings, zero hits, zero runs, one walk, three strikeouts on 28 pitches. So a little bit of a bounce back game for him as far as an individual player getting coming in, you know, allowing zero hits, zero runs, getting some three strikeouts. So that's at least a positive note you can kind of take out of this game. But besides that, there's not much else there. Arkansas did jump out to an early lead due to a Slavin's RBI single and Hudson Polk fielder's choice in the second. Peyton Holt had an RBI triple and Caleb Cowley had an RBI ground out in the seventh. They gave Arkansas some hope to make a comeback in this game, but the Hogs still fell short in this one. So That's a tough little road game there, man. And Missouri State's always a good team. Um, so, I, you know, you, you can't chalk this one up to – just us, our our lack of performing. You got to give them their credit. You know they they came in, hit the ball well, um, but you, you do kind of have to look at our relief pitching here. I, I would have liked to see Cody Agacott be able to go more than just two innings. I know he had quite a few pitches in the uh, the Georgia series. Um, so I mean, you you can't just send him out there and have him throw ninety after he just threw fifty pitches. You know, a couple of games prior. So um, I, I think that's kind of half the reason he had a little bit of a short leash. And then uh, Zach Morris came in and, I, I mean, just kind of fell apart, really. I, I I don't really know how else to describe it other than that. He's, unfortunately for him, he's had a really rough year. I mean, it, it seems like almost every time he's he's getting an appearance, it just it seems like it always just slips away and goes real south on him real fast. So, um, obviously, there's a couple other, you know, runs scored after, after he was pulled. But um, – I think that's really where this game kind of slipped away from us was that that two-thirds inning that he was in, and they dropped a five-piece on us, and it just didn't really go his way. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that, to me, has been the question mark of, you know, we saw him have a lot of, a lot of success in postseason play late in the year last year. You know, him announced he's coming back when he could have went and got had a decent draft, you know, I think he not necessarily super high, but could have, you know, got drafted somewhere, but he decided to come back. And I think, you know, in this case might not have necessarily been the best decision with some of the outings he's had. Like you said, almost all the outings he's come out and had started out maybe decent, but then went south real fast. I mean, when you can barely go two thirds of an inning and allow five runs, not trying to hate on the guy, but just, you know, acknowledge that he's had struggles this year and, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's something mentally or if he, he, I don't know if he's just struggling to hit his spots or it's just very curious to me on, you know, what's happened to him this season, especially with him being a team captain. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the experience level is there. I mean, it is, to me, you know, baseball is such a mental game. I'm, I'm not sure that's, but what that's a lot of it. I don't know, you know, what has caused it, but there's definitely something that's got to be going on with his confidence level. 
um, that's that's affecting his, you know, just ability to hit his spots and um, have consistent outings. You know, it seems like as soon as a couple of balls get away from him, he might walk one guy. It seems like it, at that point, it, you know, there, there's no coming back from it. It just spirals out of control from there. It's it's a little strange, but, um, you know, I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he can, you know, kind of get it turned around and maybe have a good postseason like he did last year. But, Going to have to have, like you said earlier on, a couple of guys step up, you know, while we've got, you know, a few players out with injuries, um, you know, you're still waiting on Tiger to come back. You're going to have to have, you know, guys like Ben Bybee, you know, shake off those bad performances and bounce back with good performances. So that's always encouraging to see, you know, the two innings he had. So you you got to take the, the bad with the good. You know, we had a lot of good series, you know, early on in the year so far. And I, like you said, not, I'm not really sure I want to call it a slump yet but definitely you know a little bit of a bump in the road that we're trying to get over the you know this this next probably two weeks or so while we're we're still trying to get a couple of guys healed back up and uh <laughs> unfortunately you got some tough series coming our way with South Carolina Vanderbilt still on the schedule so you need everybody available if you can get them that's very true and you know a few notes. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Arkansas leadoff batter and center center fielder Tavian Yosenberger, he's going to be out at least a couple weeks due to hamstring injury that he suffered in that Georgia series. You know, I think that's going to be, you know, don't get me wrong, Jared Wagner's a big loss, but you know, I think this could be a bigger hit than that, just because he's our leadoff guy. He's performed very well, very consistent all season long as far as being able to draw high pitch counts and high at pitch at bats and get a lot of walks off of starting pitchers. And I think that might be something you see that Arkansas is going to miss over these next couple weeks without him. But I'd rather not necessarily struggle, but have a weaker top of the order these next couple weeks and have him ready for postseason play. Um, and then on the flip side of that, it, we could possibly be getting Brady Tiger back this weekend uh that's expected no official announcement yet but if he is back i will expect him to be back in a very limited role with a pitch count for sure just as we're trying to ease him back into play especially in that closer role have him pitch an inning here an inning there maybe um but him being back would give arkansas a much needed help and especially in the bullpen and that closing role where maybe some guys can shift up into a long relief instead of a closer role. But I mean, I think that'll be good to see him back on the mound either way. Yeah. I think the biggest, the biggest advantage of getting Tiger back, um, you know, it may take him a couple of games to kind of get his sea legs back under my, I don't know. He may come out fire on all cylinders. I mean, with Tiger, you never really know what to expect as far as, the the output you know the you know the uh, the emotion level is going to be there and he's going to be fired up to be back in the game so you know he may come back out just throwing heaters at everybody and, and fanning guys I don't know but the 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 biggest thing for me that I kind of see as being an advantage for us whenever he does come back is you kind of free up um, Hagen Smith again to be even more of that wild card for you where you you do have your closer back so now you have your kind of your other closer in Hagen Smith who can also double as a starter or double as a long relief guy um or you know we, we've seen you know a couple of games so far this this year where uh you know Hunter Holland will pitch you know six really good innings and then 
Hagan will come in on that Friday night and pitch the remaining three or four innings, and you won't even have to have a closer. You'll just have a long reliever that is the closer. So you, you free Hagan Smith up even more, you know, um, with the addition of Tiger back into that rotation to really excel in that kind of wild card type pitcher position. So I'm excited to have Tiger back, you know, just obviously for his output himself, but then also, you know, kind of what that provides the entire um, pitching rotation options, I guess I should say. That's very true. And I think it's one of those things where we kind of struggled this season to find that third guy. You know, you have Hunter Holland and Will McIntyre that, you know, are for sure most likely going to start every weekend. But it's like you said, you know, I think if Tiger's back, maybe we can transition Hagen back into being your Sunday guy or even your Friday guy. I, I, I don't know, but I think it would definitely be good to have him as that wild card who, when other guys are struggling, he can be our our number third guy that can give us a good start and get us through you know, five to six innings. So it's going to be interesting to see how this rotation kind of adjusts a little bit with Tiger coming back, but also talking about this rotation at the plate as well. You know, you've got some guys injured. So, you know, you've had Diggs move to right field due to the Wagner injury. You know, he's normally a DH in this past, you know, six, seven games. He's played that right field spot. You've had, Borfin move over to left, but now Borfin's having to cover center due to Tavian Yosenberger being out, and you had Slavin's move to, you know, left, you know, and then, you know, are we going to see maybe adjustment of Stovall to first, you know, somebody else covering second, maybe Peyton Holt, or do you have maybe keep Ben McLaughlin that's been playing well? He's, an, I think, a natural first baseman as well, playing first, and, you know, it's just interesting to see how, what's going to be of this batting order, too, with the injuries with Josenberger and Wagner both out, two of our key hitters there. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that it's happening at this time of year. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I, I guess you'd rather, you know, some of the injuries hit you now that maybe you can recover, like you said, by postseason time. Um, but, you know, you, this is kind of the time of year where you really want to have your lineup pretty much solidified, at least for your, you know, your weekend series. Um, you want your lineup to be pretty much set at this point or as close to set as you can get it um and so it's it's kind of unfortunate you know that we're going through this type of injury bug scenario kind of both on the the pitching side of things and the offensive side of things so um it's kind of a uh learn as you go adjust on the fly type scenario for Dave Van Horn I, I hate it for him but you know that's that's why he's one of the best coaches out there is he's able to navigate these types of scenarios probably better than most coaches would um, so, you know, with that said, I, I hope everybody, you know, can, can have speedy recoveries and we can kind of get through this kind of rough patch, I guess you could say, as far as, you know, losing a few games and having a few injuries. So hopefully it doesn't end up affecting us too, too much as far as seeding and, and things like that go for end of the year, but we'll just kind of have to wait and see how, how everybody's recovery times and things like that shake out. It's very true. And I think you, you you hit the nail on the head there when not necessarily even when you think about outside the scope of baseball, you know, this sports season or year has been almost the year of the injury bug. When you take a look back at it as a whole, you know, you had football struggle with AJ with some health issues. Our secondary most definitely had health issues. 
And then, you know, you look at basketball, you had you lose Brazil early in the season. You had Nick Smith with his knee issue, you know, and now baseball with several guys getting hurt. It, it, it seems like Arkansas is struggling and you can't just can't get a win here with as far as being injury free in any of the sports. So but hopefully, you know, we get that corrected and this next year's sports season will be a little bit more injury free. But you got to have a little bit of luck on your side there. I mean, injuries are going to come with it. That's that's definitely part of it. But it seems like we're getting a few more injuries at a rate higher than what you would maybe consider normal. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm definitely with you. I hope we can kind of see that reduce a little bit just naturally. You know, just get a little bit more lucky, maybe. Yeah, that's true. And so you know, we'll cover it here in a minute with some upcoming events. But it'll be another you know. Busy weekend in Fayetteville this weekend as we have Texas A&M coming to town for baseball. So, you know, I think this is one where you flush these past four games, start fresh here, you know, and get back on a winning track and, you know, get us get back on the serious winning train here. And then you've got Tennessee coming to town, highly ranked for softball. But um, this weekend is going to start out with Arkansas men's and women's track and field participating in the Drake Relays going on April 27th and 28th. As I just mentioned, you have Arkansas baseball versus Texas A&M starting on the 27th. You know, a, another SEC series that hopefully we can bounce back and get a win in. And then Arkansas men's and women's track and field will be participating in the LSU Invitational going on April 29th. Arkansas softball, like I said, welcomes number three Tennessee to town on April 29th through May 1st. Remember, it, you know, if you're planning on these events, you know, this is going to be a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series instead of your typical Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, even a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So, you know, keep your calendars updated on that. And then you have Arkansas baseball going to North Little Rock in a neutral kind of still home game for Arkansas, but more of a neutral site game against Lipscomb on May 2nd. So, you know, not as much going on as, you know, softball's kind of cooled off, track and field's cooled off a little bit. Um, but still plenty of, you know, Arkansas sports to watch here. So, you know, you got anything else to add here before we wrap up here, Seth? I'm all good, man. I'm excited to see if our uh, softball team can kind of keep the high-flying offense going against number three, Tennessee. It's going to be a huge matchup. So everybody tune in and give the, the Lady Razorbacks your support during that series. You heard it there. So, you know, we thank everybody for tuning in for today's episode of the Woo Pig Weekly podcast. And, you know, we'll catch you back here next week.